Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Spit, the Spit Podcast. Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you here. And we're spitballing. We're talking all things surf, surf related, and a few off topic items as well. It is Monday. It is April 29th, the year of our Lord 2019. Good morning, David. One week before the boardroom show 2019. Oh my wow. gosh, it's so exciting. We're really talking all things Bells. 2019 Rip Curl Pro, I would say, I'm is the main focus. I'm talking all things boardroom. <laughs> I know. Well, dude, I want to get your mind off the boardroom. I would imagine you're in the thick of it, no, dude. I'm just kidding. I, we don't need to talk boardroom, but of course we will. No, I don't know. I, it's weird. Like The boardroom. What, what, should we just get it out of the way? It's coming up this weekend. We're excited. There is one thing that you may find interesting. There's this really cool YouTube clip of Wayne Lynch telling about the it's like the gnarliest shark story ever. Really? From Wayne Lynch. It's like nine minutes long. And I think, and I'm just throwing this out there at you right now, I think we should pull it up and play it. Right now? Yes. As part of the show. I think we're... In full volume and just listen to Wayne Lynch tell the story. It's going to be way better than me butchering it. Okay. So cut, we'll, cut to Wayne... Or why Wayne Lynch, though? Why is Wayne important to this story? Well, Wayne's, of course, the guy that we're honoring at the boardroom show. He's the Australian shaping and surfing legend. And we're honoring him. He's going to be out at the show. And um, and I just came across this. And interesting... Okay, so here's some little backstory. I was invited last night to the most fabulous dinner. And it was... Do you know who Walter Monk is? No. Walter Monk is the father of surf forecasting. Oh. He's like... He's got incredible, like, he, he basically forecasted the greatest surf forecast ever for World War II, the D-Day invasion. He was the surf forecaster. He was the reason they had to wait a week. Holy cow. Because the waves were too big. Holy cow. Yeah. So he, he died this year in February. He was 101 years old. And um, I was invited to his house last night by his widow and by some other people that were sort of, we were discussing some ways that Walter's going to... Basically, we were discussing his paddle out. His paddle out's going to be at the Scripps Pier October 19th on a Friday or a Saturday, October 19th. But anyway, I had this great meal, right? And, and of course, he's this incredible oceanographer, Walter Monk. He's the guy that discovered why waves propagate up to Southern California and break at Winnensee Beach or whatever. You know what I mean? South swells. He was the guy that... The first guy to, pro, to understand the propagation of swells from the Southern Hemisphere all the way up to Alaska and a bunch of other things. I mean, I'm just the tip of the iceberg. This guy's incredible. I mean, he's like best friends with, he was best friends with the Dalai Lama and just like, it's, it's insane, right? Like crazy. The guy's insane. Super cool, super, um, just like this really, a real sense of humility and um, a guy that woke up every morning and probably said to himself, what am I gonna learn today? As opposed to, you know, he was, he had a lot of humility, you know, teachability. And, um, and like all scientists, he was just focused on the truth, you know. So anyway, point is, is that I was at this dinner and I told this Wayne Lynch story because the guys were telling shark stories. And I was like, well, I don't have one, but here's one that I listened to the other day from Wayne Lynch. And I did an okay job 
of recounting it. But of course, I'm not going to be half as good as Wayne Lynch. So I feel like we should right now listen to the Wayne Lynch story. Perfect. Can you pull it up? Cut to Wayne Lynch. It was pretty big. It was a really big, uh, strong swell, about eight feet. It doesn't really hold much over about eight feet, but it's very thick when it gets that big and it holds it. It's, it's, it's a you know, serious wave. And it was one of the better banks. The bank was truly on one side of the bay so that right in the middle against the rocks on the other side was just all ripped. It looked like sunset. That was a good way to describe it, like Sunset Beach. There was virtually no waves breaking right to the shore break. It was that deep. And these, you know, really big, big less coming through. And I'd been out there for a couple of hours by myself. And um, anyway, this guy paddles out and I just thought, oh, yeah, I haven't seen this guy before because even back then, not many people surfed there. And um, I didn't sort of make contact, you know. <laughs> got to let them know they're not absolutely welcome. <laughs> and, um, and he's ridden a few waves and I'm just surfing away. And, <clears throat> and then I'm, on, uh, I'm on, a, on this one particular wave and I've, I was just coming out of the brow and I've looked up and here he is trying to take off. He didn't even realise I was on the wave. And he's just dropping down the face. And as I come out of the, out of the barrel, I sort of straightened out. And I, I think I said something fairly explicit to him and gone around him. And he just doesn't see him. And he's just freaked out and fallen off because he didn't realise I was there. You know, it was, it was you know, genuine. He wasn't just trying to hassle or anything. And um, so I've just paddle out I've looked in and seen him swimming and gone oh I got rid of him and I'll surf for about 20 minutes and I'll come in and look and I can't see him on the beach I can't see him anywhere and I've looked over and he's in the rip right in the middle of the rip and I go oh no I've got to rescue him and I've gone oh I'll catch a couple more ways first <laughs> he looks all right and I've paddled out and caught a couple and come back and I'll go all right get yeah, I'll get him and I've gone over and he's gone and I've gone, oh, shit, and I've gone, you know, I've actually really worried. I've gone, oh, no, he looked pretty strong. And then I've looked around and I can see him. He's out a lot further than I realised he'd be. He's out, you know, at least 200 yards. And I can barely even see him. I can just see his hand out of the water. I think he was trying to wave for help. So that's OK. So I paddled out and grabbed him. And I put him on the back of my board. And I'm on a 7.6 um, red swallowtail. And he's facing me and I'm facing him. I'm on the nose facing him. I'm just talking because he's really tired. I, I thought, gee, I've only just got you in time. And while he's talking to me, right behind him, about from, from me to you guys, a shark comes up really silently, just like this, just pokes its head up. And it's about that far out of the water, at least. And it just comes up with a really massive big eye and it's just just looking at us, but it's right behind him, or just a bit to the side, but right behind um, John and I'm just looking at it going, oh no, and it's obviously a white pointer because they're the only sharks I know that do that, or the only experience I've had, and it's a massive thing, it's huge, big, round, so, and it just slides really silently back down, and I've just gone, oh, we better start going in, John, I think, you know, we're getting a long way out. I didn't tell him anything. I didn't change my demeanour or anything. And I said, just paddle with me, but I know you're tired. Just paddle in sync. Just, and just 
paddle. Don't don't put any energy into it unless you feel strong, because you know we've got to get across to that over to the other side near the rocks because um, the rip's running a lot stronger there. And I don't want to take you into the break because if we lose the board, you're going to be in trouble. So, and what I was actually thinking was, there's never been a recorded shark attack in seaweed. I don't know if that means the guy got swallowed whole. <laughs> we just never hear about it. But over on that side in, at Castles and those years, there was massive seaweed used to grow up and then float on the surface and run along, you know, really long, big, thick bull kelp. And um, so, it, you know, it going, crossing the channel, you know, diagonally across to get out of it, but trying to aim in a bit. And while I'm doing that, like every now and then I can see the shark and it's down, down about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine feet down in the water and swimming super slow, just just barely moving faster than us and it's circling obviously and I you know five minutes later I'd see it again just I'm just looking down just going Whoa, this is not good it's really interested and I figured it was interested in um in John not me because he's tired and you know and I've put him at the back of the board <laughs> I figured well I'll, I'll save you but I won't die for you <laughs> You can, you can, you can go to the back, and I don't know why I thought the back was more dangerous. But anyway, <clears throat> um, actually, it's not true because at the front I had the power to, power to uh, paddle the board and steer it better. And um, we get over into the kelp finally, and I haven't seen it for a little while, so I've, I figured that 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 meant that it just nicked off. And we come into the kelp, and then I've gone right down the edge of the rocks, keeping as much as I can out of the rip and gotten right into the beach, and on the beach it's really deep and the waves are just surging up a bank, it's really steep, so the waves are kind of doubling up and just going boom and running up the beach, it's quite quite intense, and I, you know, I'm only about oh, 30 feet, 40 feet off the beach, something like that, not far, and I've looked around trying to time a, a surge as the as waves break, because it's, it's a real thump, it's going to nail us. And I look around, and, and the wave's got ledges in it, like a like a triple, double up shape. And the shark is coming down, down this wave, on its side, and I can see it just so clearly. Its, it's eyes white. It means it's going to bite. Its mouth's it's just a bit open, not totally open, a bit open, just going like a rocket straight at us. And I've just lifted both my feet and grabbed the board. And going, it's just you know going to hit us, and we're going to go flying. It's going to grab him, grab John, and um, nothing happens. Just doesn't happen. And I'm kind now. It's got me really. I'm just going, what the hell is going on? That is really strange. So next one's come, boom, we get washed up the beach, and you know, and John shakes my hand. I, I give him a lecture. He shouldn't surf. He can't swim in, and. Who told him to come here? <laughs> Which isn't true. I didn't say that, but um, you know. So you know, I told him. I said, See, John, "You shouldn't do this. This is not. If you can't get in in that situation, you really shouldn't be surfing here. If I wasn't out there, you're, you're gone." And never told him about the shark. He just walked off. And he looked that thankful and that depleted that I just went, "What's the point?" And um, I sat on the top of this really steep sand for a while just with my board and thought about it all and, and it was sort of surreal it didn't seem like it had happened and then I went ah stuff it and I just went back out 
And about an hour later, five of my mates had been sitting up in the hill, and I didn't know it. I was sitting up. We had a little a secret little spot in the in the sand dunes where you could sit. No one knew you there. And uh, they've all paddled out and gone. You got no idea what. You should have seen what happened to you, and you could have died. And on and on. I said the shark, and they're going. What you saw it? I said, yeah. How could I not? And they're going, and you went back out. And I said, well, didn't bite. And and they told me that they watched the whole thing and it's circling. And when it and then it disappeared. When I got into the seaweed and I got in close, it disappeared. They couldn't see it. And then suddenly it surfaced out about three hundred yards or more, just came up to the surface and then just swam straight at the beach, straight at us from way out just went down a little bit, wasn't breaking the water anymore, and they could watch it like a torpedo, super fast, and went right onto his feet and turned at right angles and swam out to sea at the same speed. It's a pretty cool story, right? That is wild, dude. He tells it pretty good too, right? He's I, got a... Yeah, but I want I want um, to understand why. Like, that's such a bizarre behavior from the shark. Yeah, I'm just thinking maybe they got, they were just, the shark was too close. Like the shark sonar sensed how shallow it got real quick because the beach was at a steep angle. So it was deep until it wasn't. And maybe, right, it was just like dumb luck that they got close enough to the shore that the shark sonar went, uh oh, I'm in danger and I have to turn around and, jam- and get back. Really interesting. Yeah, it's a cool story, huh? That's the kind of character it- we're going to get to encounter this weekend. Wayne Lynch, good guy, super, super classic. I'm Aussie. I'm also always amazed by people's um, not only comfort with sharks, guys like him, Greeno. They've had enough exposure to sharks in their natural environment that they understand their behavior actually better than a lot of scientists probably do. You hear Mark Healy talk about it too. Um, just understanding, like, oh, I saw the white of his eye. That means he's about to bite. Like, little cues like that. Yeah. It's crazy to think that you've had enough encounters to feel that comfortable. I would just yeah. always be shocked. Even if I had five encounters on the sixth, I would be equally shocked, I would think. I, I agree with you. And I, and I sometimes think that while there is certainly um, a better understanding if you're in their environment a lot and you get to be more comfortable with it, that's also can set you up for more dangerous situations. And I think back to this Crazy documentary that I know you saw about the freaky guy with the bears up in Alaska. Grizzly man. Grizzly man. I mean, this guy was a guy who you would think, oh, you know, he, he had named all these bears and he was friends with all these bears. And sure enough, one of the bears ate him. Yeah. And so these are wild creatures. And as much as we think we might understand their motives, I don't. I think we'd be foolish to think we really do. That guy was clearly nuts. He was. I mean... I feel like um, Wayne Lynch, Mark Healy, for sure. There's a calculated risk. Oh, for sure. No, no, they're I, not. They're I not agree. daredevils or thrill seekers. Yeah. They're actually like mitigating all of the variables, all right. the risk, right. and then still choosing in because they know there's no risk. That guy was just crazy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Great documentary, though. It is. Yeah. So it's one that needs to be revisited, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Wayne Lynch on eight shapers are going to be shaping. Three different boards replicating Wayne Lynch's really cool boards, too. I, I don't know. if Did I tell you? I, I unpacked them the other day. Oh, no. my God. So they arrived at my scene, and I unpacked them. And you know, and I know, I've unpacked a lot of surfboards in my day. And this these three boards, I was instantly like, oh, my goodness. I think I want to buy all three of these wow. boards. 
Wayne, did he ship them from Australia? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a big ordeal. Yeah. Um, funny thing is, I mean, I don't really think of Wayne Lynch as a shaper so much, you know? I think I, you're. I think you're right. I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah, I know. I've I've seen. I mean, we all know him as a, this great legendary surfer. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, he'd been making his own boards since. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's like I am aware of that detail, but I can't assign a certain design to him. Yeah, the one, the sort of the classic one is that double ender evolution board. Yeah. Um, that I think originally McTavish and Neil Purchase Senior had made for him. And then, you know, Wayne's in Victoria pretty far off the beaten path in 1967. He just, like, starts making his own boards because there's no one else around. Totally. Yeah. Um, did you get your Arise mid-length yet? We were talking about it last show. You were going to go pick it up. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow. I went You're right more after. surprised about it than I am. <laughs> I had forgotten. I was, I was like... Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty fascinated by it. I have some clips I can show you on my phone right now if you want to see. Surfline Rewind? Yes. Dude, you love it. <laughs> Dude, it's so embarrassing when you paddle up to somebody, you're like, hey, what time is it? And they're like, why? You got to go to work? I'm like, no, I've got to go to Surfline Rewind and see that last turn I did. Show me later. I don't want to interrupt you, the show. I'm showing you right now. Um, well, while you while you pull that up, we, yes. we actually owe a thanks to um, Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, firstly and foremostly, because they are our home studio, which is where we're sitting right now in the library. Shack dot org s-h-a-c-c dot o-r-g and then also of course neat essentials has kept us dialed in with wetsuits throughout the course of the year and by the way outerwear if you're ever going up to the mountains and then of course spyoptic.com use promo code podcast to directly support this show i'm wearing my spot my neat essentials jacket today it was raining up in north orange county so and huntington beach you mean Yep. <laughs> you call it North Orange <laughs> County now? <laughs> so I was talking about I was talking about Walter Monk, right? Yeah. He's got this insane house that Scripps Institute gave him a long time ago in the 50s or whatever. It's overlooking blacks. He's got his own private walkway down to the beach. Crazy. Check out his front yard. What? They gave him the house? And the land all around Crazy, it. Crazy, dude. It goes down. There's a private path down to blacks. Wow. And uh, he's got a, his own Shakespearean theater in his front yard. Oh, my gosh. Where, he, where they put on plays and stuff. That is insane. Isn't it cool? So cool. It's That's a little, little terraced amphitheater. Yeah. That's all seating? Yeah. Amazing, dude. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to show me your clip. I am. You're going to freak out. I'm stoked on by, my Arise Twin Fin. By, by the way, the other thing real quickly while yeah. you're looking it up, um, I forgot to mention this last week. We were talking about Lori Towner and his Instagram post and all that. Yeah. Um, Need Need Essentials actually put together um, a trip called and a video called Norderlund. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I it's saw insane. Rob insane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really insane. Free 40-minute um, surf video with Torn Martin and um, – Lori Towner, and uh, it's beautiful. I mean, coming off the heels of Thank You, Mother, it's absolutely spectacular, cold water, frigid, um, full-length surf film. So we've got that on spitpodcast.com if you want free vid, beautiful surfing, um, beautiful landscape, all that sort of stuff. Cool. Norderland. 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 Here's this, here's this clip. 
I don't know if you can see it. Yep, I'll push play. All right, average day at your local spot. Boom, banked one off the top. Cuddy. <laughs> You're not impressed. I can tell you. I'll give you okay. Whatever. No. What's important is to see how the board went off the top, right? Yep. Like, and also the bottom turn. Like, if you if you kind of go in slow mo, like the bottom. Oh yeah, dude. The bottom turn is pretty turn. sick. And I mean, just that turn right there. That that was like I was like, wow, this thing feels insane. So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and that's Heels. a pretty that's a pretty average day. Very like, average. Yeah. Very average two to three foot day. And, and like I said, I had keels. I'm running keels on it. It's much, it feels much bigger than your board. Like it, it, it's, it's got more of a nose. Like it's got a full nose, you know, like a full. What's the length? I want to say it's seven two. Yeah. Mine's six ten. I wonder if I have pictures of it. Um, that bottom turn though. You're right. That was like a fully, um, you're almost like parallel with the surface of the water. Well, it, it, off the tail, it did this incredible. That's like, what I like. That's what I was telling I was you. Like, I should just have this in a six foot board. Like, what that's do what I, I was need, telling what you. What do I, need? I was like, can we just get rid of all this nose area? You know. <laughs> and I and I sent. That's what I sent to Ryan. I go, Ryan, it doesn't. It's lacking in forward drive. Like, it, like if I just stand on the tail, it doesn't get up and go down the line. You know, so I kind of got to go into the middle of the board to get it to go, but it's really soft up there. So Ryan and I are thinking, let's do like some, let's make it a little faster, a little harder edge, a little edgier up there and flatter. Should I bring mine by for Ryan to check? Yeah. Um, because mine does have the drive, not all the way back on the tail, but remember I told you, I go like one third up from the tail is where yeah. I stand. And all you got to do is kind of engage the tail, like engage the channels and the fins and the thing drives like crazy it's actually very got a ton of drive yeah i don't know if i, I don't want to say mine doesn't have drive but it doesn't have forward momentum unless yeah. i get into the middle of the board and the wave starts to so again if i stand yeah. on the tail i'm it's not like i got to move forward for it no. to kind of get up and yeah go. we're there's something different between our two boards then because mine definitely has that drive almost like in a way that I haven't really even experienced before. Like yeah. it just goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome though. I was super psyched on that. On that responsiveness, that kind of up and down. I, yeah. People can't see what you're doing with your hands. So I was trying to explain. <laughs> I know. I know. When I was doing that, I was like, oh, what does that mean? Just the way it turns in the pocket was um, really cool. The, this also highlights something that's important. Talk to your shaper. Like work with your shaper. Refine a design. Like this is where you get the most out of your surf experience is by like ordering a board, trying to achieve a certain sensation, feeling some of it, going back to the shaper, dialing it in even farther. Like that's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah. You know? Um, awesome dude. Psyched. Yeah, I am too. Is Ryan going to be at the boardroom? Yeah, I'm sure he'll be lurking around. I don't cool. think he has a booth, but sweet. Hopefully he'll be there. Uh, before we get into the bells event, I also wanted to follow up on one thing. I went last Friday night, I believe it was, to the premiere, world premiere of And Two If by Sea. Yeah. The Hobgood documentary. Yeah. Did you go? No. Okay. Um it's really good. Yeah. I love those guys. They also did a phenomenal job. I mean, the event itself was freaking world class, dude. They yeah. did it at the theater box in San the Diego? gas lamp downtown San Diego. Yeah. It's a giant theater, like full on red carpet thing, like 
Yeah. A really VIP experience. Who was behind all that? Salty Crew or was it Red Bull or who was who? Well, they who crowd sponsored it. They crowdfunded it. Oh, no, they Salty, crowdfunded. Yeah, they crowdfunded it five years ago. We talked about it on the show, like but, a I mean, Kickstarter. The, was there a major sponsor behind it, or was it all crowdfunded? It wasn't a major sponsor, but they did get um, legitimate production companies involved with it. Okay. Um, Justin is the guy's name. I can't. Justin Purser, I believe, is the guy's name. The director, mm-hmm. and he's. Friends with them from childhood, friends with the Hopgoods. Mm-hmm. So as he got into filmmaking and they kind of got into retirement, he was like, hey, let's partner up. Somebody needs to tell your story in a really kind of authentic yeah. way. Yeah. So they started with a crowdfunding thing. I think that got the project started. They realized a year or two in that that's not nearly enough money. So they actually partnered with some production companies and saw the project through they got daniel tosh to narrate who's a comedian obviously with his own show on comedy what, central what was that connection how did that all come well daniel about? tosh is a surfer oh is he yeah um he grew up actually in florida i think near the hobgoods i don't mm. think they knew each other in their youth right. but tosh is a quote surfer you know right, right. i saw him post he's got a good voice for a voiceover right could yeah it work? yeah yeah, it yeah. Seems like it would work yeah um or were you thinking com- well tonally I think there was a little disconnect. Oh, really? Like, I think because they got Tosh, you want to use him. You're right. like, oh, we got him. Let's use him. So they wrote a script for him for the narration that was, um, it had jokes in it. Oh, you're kidding. So then I think from that point, they started kind of editing the film to incorporate some comedy, which I think, again, tonally just wasn't an exact fit for the storyline otherwise. Little things like in the title cards for, um, you know, the talking heads being interviewed, Kelly Slater. It has his title and it says Kelly Slater, 11 time world champ. And then they add a little joke on the end of it, like world's brightest smile or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of trying to shoehorn the comedy in was a little bit of a, it, it wasn't offensive in any way, but it was kind of like, oh, these guys are talking about these really kind of earnest, meaningful, heart wrenching topics in their life. And then we're squeezing in a joke when Daniel Tosh's voiceover comes on, you know, mm. things like that. That was the only real kind of hiccup for me. Um, but again, it wasn't even offensive. So by and large, it's a grand success. And yeah. this is what you and I want. You know, we yeah. always talk about um, the WSL needing to kind of do better storytelling and all that sort of stuff. This goes back and does a lot of that storytelling that we kind of were privy to kind of if we were reading between the lines in their heyday when they were doing their you know their most notable surfing um social media wasn't so much a thing so for you and i to be exposed to the hobgoods it was all through the top down filtering of the magazines so a lot of those storylines we didn't really get you know and you could kind of infer it but it was they did a really good job of going back into detail and explaining i mean it's really a psychological study about rivalries between siblings and specifically between twins and there's a lot of animosity that gets built up and a lot of jealousy and cj qualifies and damien doesn't and damien's like if i never qualify what does that mean for me you know like identity issues and then going into the success of them both qualifying and making tons of money and like how does love look in that scenario like you those those are the ages when you're normally getting when your friends are getting married and buying houses and getting their careers going and so do you get married? Do you not? Do you marry your high school sweetheart? Do you not? And then um, CJ does, and there's a storyline about his infidelity, and they actually interview 
his now ex-wife and how that affected her and the kids and all that sort of stuff. Oh my God, that's pretty good. It goes that's deep. That's pretty ballsy dude. to do that. Super ballsy. Right. And, and I think... My hat's off to CJ for allowing that. Yeah. Because I'm sure he didn't look too good. He was very honest about it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, in a very brutal way, a raw yeah. way, like... He was very... In a way that a Christ-centered person would be. Like, that's the sense that I get is that he's willing to he's willing to put himself in front of everyone because he's putting himself in front of what he deems his... Yeah. But he wasn't always willing. So he talks about him not being willing to for a period and... Living in a dishonest way. And how that was tearing him apart, you know? Yeah. And, he, and they're showing the footage from Tahiti when he's having that realization and like what his results were in that contest as a result of it. That um, sounds cool. Well, so what I liked about it, though, is, I mean, look, we all know that these guys have every vice at their fingertips when they're traveling the world yeah. and, like, good-looking athletes making a bunch of money. and But we don't ever get to see how that plays out in your home life yeah. and for the people who are affected by it, the victim yeah. of, victims yeah. of it, you know? That's great. This sounds like great filmmaking. This, to me, isn't even a surf movie. It's a, no, it's a documentary. It's a human interest. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I love it. You know, because yeah. and, and I'm stoked that it's got a surf. You know, tons drapery of yeah. around it, obviously. But you know, I'm just because you know, you and I talk all the time about. Please don't give me the same old. And this right. is this is really they've gone outside the box and they've they've put themselves out there. It sounds yeah. like they certainly have put themselves out there. And that's no what that's about. what makes great film. It, right? it, it, it honestly honest. it endears you to all the characters. Oh, for sure. Like I, I, I love, love those, those guys, guys already. Yeah, no, totally. What's not to love? Exactly. Yeah, and then this, it was like, man, whew, I can relate to all of that stuff. Yeah, like I can relate to. Yeah, that's what's important, right there. Yeah, that we heavy. can relate to it. You know what I mean? The other part that really um, I thought was pretty poignant was CJ, you know, achieving all of those dreams, like big house, wife, world, kids, world champion, world two thousand and one. All that stuff. And then coming back, it was actually, I think, a church event or something related to one. Um, coming back in the middle of the night with a dude from church and pulling up to the house and seeing the massive house and going, what am I? I don't even want this isn't even my house. Like, what am I doing here? I don't even want this. Like what he had thought was his dream all along, because it's the dream of everybody achieving the world title achieving the house all that he kind of realized after achieving it that like i actually just want a mellow life and being able to surf and being able to fish and just being able to do what i want to do all of this comes with a bunch of expense and expectation that by the way not just expense based on what i'm earning now this expense lasts for the next 20 or 30 years until this mortgage is paid off or whatever and I don't know that I'm going to want to earn that amount of money anymore. Like to or, earn that amount of money. Can. Yeah. To earn that amount of money, you have to be traveling the world 10 months a year and winning world title. And like, I don't really want to do that. So yeah. having that realization and then having to confront that in oneself and then go to your wife and just be like, can we downshift? Can we scale <laughs> back? Like, what are we doing? What do you think of a mobile home park? <laughs> it was really poignant. And again, I can't fully relate to that, but like I could relate to a version of it, you I know. Everyone or, can relate to low overhead surfers. I think you know, if I can generalize, we're generally at least I've always been, dude. I can live in my car, like I can live low overhead. I mean, I've traveled and lived in dungy, you know. We all have, right? I think surfers can relate to low overhead because you know the only thing that really matters is hey, let's get ourselves on good waves, you know, and that means low overhead. You know what I mean? 
And so, Completely. at least to us, but maybe not our significant others or our children, or yeah. we've been off a big chunk of cultural pie that we're not really comfortable with that isn't really us. And yep. yep. It's interesting. And so I thought that was interesting because it allowed me to assess my future. Like I can't relate to buying that big house and those and marriage with kids and all that sort of stuff, but it allowed me to tap into it in my potential future and be like, hey, dude redirect course when you're feeling the draw towards those things remember some of that draw is external pressures you know i mean just buying a house in southern california is insane oh i know dude you're looking at a million dollars yep and so guess what that means ten thousand dollars a year just in property taxes over 30 years yep 300 grand in property taxes yep that's just Throws a loop in the whole deal. Like, it's just... That's gnarly. So insane. Yeah. Property taxes. Yep. Taxes in general. Get out of Southern California. Get right? out. Uh, well, so hard. So at any rate, shout out to the Hobgoods and Justin yeah. Purser What about Damien? What Damien's story... I, I interviewed Damien. He's a great interview. Yeah. And um, what, what was the... The big drama was there a conflict in Damien's, Damien's storyline besides the tremendously brother? the the main theme for Damien is playing second fiddle to the one minute older brother and the world champ and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So Damien's constantly trying to reconcile his own identity yeah. against CJ's, yeah. and so the way that looked through their youth was like they all they always had the same sponsors you know and so they did always market themselves together well it wasn't their choice a lot of the time you right. know it was rusty's decision right. and then they kind of got out from under that on umbrella globe. they both were on globe right so that yeah they got out from that umbrella and then kind of tried to create some separation so damien they were both on globe but then damien went over fox was doing the surf thing then damien starts doing the knowing he's not going to win a world title or accepting that at some point starts pursuing the big wave thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. really good. Yeah. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So, and to if by sea, it's not available yet. They're going to tour it, and then it'll be available for purchase, but we will keep listeners informed on when those things happen. All right. Cool. I'm going to buy that when it comes out. Good. Got to support the things you love. I think, though, I I feel like we are having a rebirth of uh, the feature-length surf film to a certain degree. Like, with that Need Essentials, Norderlund. Is that feature-length? It was 40 minutes. The Hobgood one is actually two hours. Was the it, Hobgood one could have been long? 90 minutes. Yeah, it was too long. Yeah. I don't know where or what they could would have edited, cut. Could have edited the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know where or what they would have cut, yeah. but I found myself at the end of the two hours getting antsy. Because you're kind of like, I get it. Yeah, I'm just rags, ready to get out of my rags seat. Rags to riches and back again. I mean, look, if you're, at, if you're at yeah. home, you have the ability to pause and go to the right. refrigerator. I was in a theater right. for two hours. Right. It's tough to you sit that long. Was yeah. your chop up like falling away? Or did you have to brush your hair? It was getting a little loose, but I wanted to check Instagram. I have these other <laughs> oh these other dopamine hits. Screen time. I've been using that article you sent. And your tell screen time's gone down. Tell the listeners. So a listener, a listener, um, we were talking about spending too much time on our phones. So a listener emailed us last episode after last episode and was like, "Hey, you guys should look at this new phone that um, you know." I forget what the phone is called. I've seen it. It was advertised a year or two ago. There was like a Kickstarter. It's a phone that basically only allows you to text and call. Yeah. And uh, I was like, hey, man, I don't like adding things to my life to create solutions for things that I have too much of. You know, like I'm fine with reducing things, but I don't want to add a new gadget in lieu of just discipline. Like I should just be able to enforce a discipline. So I Googled how to... um, reduce your screen time and this great article came up that was very practical yeah. about putting, productivity yeah just like creating folders on your home screen and doing things alphabetically eliminating your notifications scott's showing me his home screen right now there's literally eight widgets and and you can't remove those from iPhone. right Right. And there's a black screen. There's not a screen. That whole article talked about if you put images on your home screen, it makes you want to pick it up and look at mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then I got folders down here. Yeah. I've turned off all my notifications. Yep. So, and then they want you to get used to swiping right so you can look at your stuff. And screen time is right up here. And um, I'm one minute below my average for today. At this on time or by time. the end of the day? I don't know. Let me let me check. If I click on Because you got screen, a lot of day left ahead of you. Yeah. Well, here, let's uh, see. The last seven days, four hours per day of screen time. It's a lot. Is it? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, not by compared to anybody else, but that's just a lot, period. I'm hoping to get some sort of comparison. Four hours a lot. Uh, so, dude, speaking yeah. of Wayne Lynch, yeah. Shark Story, all that stuff, and your buddy, the oceanographer, going to his paddle out. Walter Monk. Walter Monk. Google so him, dude. He's I've gnarly. Got, I've got this new app that I've been using. This is going to increase your screen time. No, I'm not going to use it. It's really good, though. <laughs> right, what is it? It's called We Croak. It's all about acknowledging death is imminent for all of us. 
So there's a lot of cultures why around. Why do I need to acknowledge? I'm going to tell you why. There's a lot of cultures around the world who that's a part of their daily uh, awareness. You know, right. like Japanese, mm-hmm. Bhutanese. They have these sayings that are incorporated into their life that are just like, just be mindful and reverent of death because it'll make you more respectful of how you use your time. You yeah. won't waste as much time on your phone if you know that you're going to die. So this app. <laughs> so you downloaded an so app to tell you that. These, these app developers, they, yes. they're they like all about that philosophy and they were implementing it in their life and living a better life because of it mm-hmm. and like deleting Instagram and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, we'll just create an app that reduce it doesn't actually draw you into your phone that much more you can't link it to social media you can't share it with friends any of that it's just five notifications a day they come sporadically intentionally and you open the notification and it's a quote and that's it like you can't there's not a lot to the app other than that it's just one quote five times a day and i'll read five quotes a day yeah and which i thought was going to be too much it's not it's kind of a constant reminder. Yeah, read me one. Just sure. by the time you finish kind of processing one of your quotes and go about your day, you get another reminder and it's a new quote and you kind of process. The, it's uh-huh. just the right amount, I okay. found out. So anyways, this is one of them. Wildness. Wildness. It is perennially within us, dormant as a hard-shelled seed, awaiting the fire or flood that awakes it again. <laughs> Gary Snyder. Oh, Gary. So some of them are people you know. Some of them are people you don't. Mm. But look, wildness is a good thing within us, right? And it's perennially perennially within us, dormant. And then a flood comes, the water comes, and it sprouts it. So it's like rather than just being dormant all the time. fire. It's at a fire. What is a fryer? You roast it and then you salt it and eat it? I don't know. That's a good one. I'm not <laughs> sure what the fire has to do. Um Okay, well, that wasn't the greatest example. That didn't we move quote, me to download. Oh, dude, it's what I got. You can access the current quote. I can't go back and look at the archives. Right. You know? Right. Um, but we croak if you guys want to download that. <laughs> that <is kind laughs> of Solid weird. name, though, right? That is kind of weird. Let me see your home screen. Let me see what you got there. Did you? Uh, no. Mine yes. is definitely not. Oh, that, see, that's like candy. Let's play. I know. Mine is all candy. That looks like candy. All right, dude, we should talk about Bells. 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 2019 Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. Great event. I loved it. it. I thought it was. Yeah? I enjoyed it. Yeah? Yeah. Big, meaty, mean, lumpy. That inside, that final section was where all the scoring was taking place. I mean, it's Bells, you know? It's like you and I have argued for years. Bells should be taken off the tour. But there's so much friggin' history and legacy, it's never going to get taken off the tour, ever. Right. It's the longest running, oldest pro surf contest in the history. of 58th year. So it's just not going to go away. So... If, they're get, if it's going to happen, at least it's going to be 8 to 12 feet and lumpy and mean and radical on whatever Saturday it was. And then the final day was really clean and killer. And I thought it was a great event. I enjoyed yeah. the heck out of it. Yeah. And I watched it all live and listened. You know, I was into it. I agree with you. Um, again, the events are too long. And the fact that, like, think back to round one. It just ran in, like, knee-high waist yeah. waist high crappy surf right. you it's almost not even the same event and it's right. almost a shame that a bunch of guys I chloe agree. and dino loses mm-hmm. before any of that stuff happens mm-hmm. that's a shame i totally agree the event they, they need to trim down the amount of surfers yeah they really do and we reiterate this every event so it's probably not worth me belaboring the point no now. i think it is but, i think but we, it kind of is more relevant. The, uh, it's more relevant now than ever when you watch yeah. that event and it's like all that we're going to remember is that round of 16 and the finals day. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So everything that happened before is like a trials event almost. Yeah. You know? 
I thought the commentary was really good. I thought Potts was really good. I thought that um, Strider was just kind of, I, I think, I don't know. There's moments where Strider says some pretty good stuff, but there's a lot of stuff where I was like, what about, didn't I text you? I'm like, why are we looking at Strider's back too? They would like have the drone over him and they're showing the back of his head and he's talking. I'm like, why doesn't he at least turn around and look at the drone? Dude, would you turn around when you're sitting in that Southern Ocean where there's 12 foot waves marching in? <laughs> Do your job. You want to turn your back to it. Rule okay. number one, look at the camera. What about the addition of Luke Egan? I like Luke Egan a lot. Do you? Yeah. I like that he he's, he kind of, He's like the uh, anti Joe Turpel, you know. He's like Barry. He just like keeps it real. He's short. A lot of times he'll just go back to you boys. Like that's all you're gonna get out of me, motherfucker. I think he's gonna. <laughs> I think he's gonna get coached beyond that because I, I think that was a failure of his. What do you he's, mean? Oh, you mean like stopping the interview short and just sending it back to the booth? Well, like okay, when he's on, when he's doing the beach commentary, yeah. He interviewed, ah, oh man, who was it? Somebody who had something Jake, really... Jack Perry, the guy that had the boards in no. his garage. He did it. I, that was one where he cut it short. And I was like, that was kind of cool. He just asked him one okay. question. The guy answered. And he goes, that's all you're getting. He basically was saying, back to you, boys. I'm not following up with a question. Right. So, Which I thought was... That's fine. But one, the one that I'm thinking of, something kind of crazy happened in the ocean. It might have been Owen Wright and not having his board waxed. And then... Do you remember that? No. I'll tell you that one in a second. Anyways, he he meets up with him after the heat on the stairs. Yeah. And the commentators in the booth pitch down to Luke. Luke is supposed to tee up the conversation and be like, hey, Owen, what happened? Why wasn't your backup board waxed? But he never even asked the question. He just goes, hey, Owen. And he jams the mic in Owen's face. And then Owen kind of tells what's on Owen's mind. And then he's done. And Luke goes, all right, back to you guys in the booth. It's like, Luke, your job is to tee it up and then reset it and give it back to the people yeah. in the booth, you know? That, that and he doesn't do some basic stuff like that. Well, he'll get, you're right. They will coach him on that. So, okay, I like Luke as well. And I'm glad to see him. And I'm glad to see him replace Pete in the booth. Because Pete and Ronnie's dynamic is stilted at best. And we talked about this last year when they first linked up, I think, at the beginning of the season when Pete replaced Ross. Because... Ronnie and Ross were gold and they had a great rapport and then Pete comes in to replace Ross and it was almost like Ronnie was pissed. Do you remember talking about this? Yes. Like Ronnie was because Ronnie would tee up these perfect lines of conversation over to Pete and Pete would swing and miss. Pete didn't even see him coming. He didn't know what he was talking about. He would interrupt Ronnie half the time. He wouldn't pick up what Ronnie was putting down and then you could hear Ronnie getting resentful and like so and then he kind of undermined Pete a little bit, and it was contentious. Well, that can be a good thing. No, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. I agree. Good. I'm just saying. So now, getting I they they're doing fifty fifty. It's like they're getting Pete back on the sideline reporting and testing out Luke with Ronnie, which is great. But my buddy sent me a text about Luke that I thought was spot on. He goes, "Luke Egan is too slow and deliberate. Smart but boring." And I agree. It's like Luke yeah. is very smart. He can provide all the same kind of world tour um, in the water experience and knowledge and know-how that Pete can and board design and all that sort of stuff. But he's smart. He's really smart. It's just that he's a little too deliberate. He's a little too 
slow to keep up with the pacing of the heat if he can speak and i probably have that issue too i speak very slow and deliberately um i've had people complain about that with me but i think if he could like ramp up his energy level pacing yeah yeah. again all coachable things interesting good concept good uh, commentary on that i i the one thing that maybe is lacking from anybody still on the sidelines is you get the sense that Luke's too close to it, too close to the competitors. Like he's not going to be the guy out of respect for the competitors. Not that he doesn't have the balls to do it. If that's what you want to say, balls or the, you know, the moxie to go, hey, you didn't wax your board. That's a huge mistake. What happened? Or, you know, you know what I mean? I need that. We need that guy that that McEnroe or Johnny Miller guy that's going to call him out Mm -hmm. and not be worried about how it might be perceived by others. Because believe me, others are going to go, that was lame. Why'd you call out? You need somebody who doesn't care about being buddy-buddy with pro surfers. Exactly. Yeah. But but that has their respect too. Yeah, yeah. They got to have the, it's got to, you know what I mean? Because Luke has their respect, but Luke also needs to like, I mean, next year he could be coaching one of these guys. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't want to, you know, yeah. upset the apple cart, the future apple cart. And almost all of these guys have brand loyalties because they came from working yeah. with a brand or they yeah. still are part of the team, yeah. you know? Yeah, like Strider's just dropping Biolis and Lost shit everywhere. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine, but it is what it is, you know? <sighs> yeah, it's a problem. I mean, it's fine and we can all relate to it. And we know why these things are in the place that they are, but it's a problem for growth. My question to you is, is there even room or a necessity for somebody that's more critical than what we're getting? Is there is there need to be a more critical Absolutely. eye? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And is that person Why on the beach commentator or is he in the booth or maybe a mixture? Yeah, I'm not sure. Could be either. Yeah. I'd be fine with him asking those questions to the athlete directly on the on Do the you beach. remember there was a World Series or an all-star baseball game? You probably don't remember. It might have been 10 years ago. And Jim Gray is this sideline reporter guy that everyone cringes because he's the guy that will ask the tough question. And Pete Rose was asked by Major League Baseball. Who, Pete Rose has been banned from, Major, from, the All-Star, uh, from the Hall of Fame for betting, for gambling. And as, you know, a way to sort of maybe bridge some relationships with Pete Rose, Major League Baseball asked him to come out and throw the first pitch at the All-Star game. So he's out there on the mound. He throws the first pitch. Everyone's welcoming Pete back. Everyone's clapping. They're in love with Pete, the fans, everyone, the commentators. And Jim Gray, they throw it down to Jim Gray. And Jim Gray just goes, do you think you'll ever make the Hall of Fame based on your gambling problem or whatever? And Jim and Pete Rose just looks at him like on national TV and just goes, really? You're going you're gonna to ask me this question now? Like, I thought you had more, you know, like basically there was drama. There was conflict. Yeah. But Jim Gray asked the question that was a legitimate question. A question that everybody wants to know. Yeah. The most obvious question. Yeah, exactly. And so is there a place for a Jim Gray type guy? There's a necessity A for necessity. It. There's yeah. an absolute necessity. I, I've said I this. don't understand why nobody will ask Kelly Slater the things that we're all wondering about Kelly Slater. What would you ask Kelly Slater if you were the sideline reporter and you didn't have to worry about getting him on your show later in the year? I don't think he'll ever do it at this point. Like, I've been vocally critical enough. I don't think he'll, he will, you know? But what no, I would no, ask him... No, but I'm, I mean, what would you ask? Yeah, I would ask... 
Are you would what? say? Are you too caught up in your outside issues to really give it a good run at the world title? Or your outside business? Yes. Business? Uh, is your business um, affiliation with your board company preventing you from getting on the right board of this event, which was that Simon Anderson? When he rode that Simon Anderson, that board looked light years better than what he was riding. And then the very next heat against Ryan Callanan, he's back on his other equipment. And by the way, he got couldn't, lost. He couldn't get he. He that was just finished a, the heat with a 5.67. And he had the two waves that he needed. He got up on two waves that ran all the way through to the inside and never figured out the pacing of the wave. He had an outside section that he had to go around because he wasn't in the right possession uh, positioning to hit it. Then it lines up on the inside and he just like swerves around. And then on the absolute inside to hit the end section, I think he hit one of them and the other one, he didn't even know how to approach it. And it's because he's on a board that he's constantly pumping to find speed on. And it's kind of, um, it's really responsive, but it's really, it looked too light. Like it didn't have drive. Whereas when he got on that Simon Anderson, a lot less responsive, but it had drive. And he's just like, steps on the gas in the bottom turn and it launches him through that mid-phase bottom turn and then he goes into an arc and does like this giant 30-yard arc down the face then goes up banks off the white it was like beautiful yeah. and and again he only got a four something on that board because he only rode it for half the heat yeah but you could see like oh there's the drive and the speed from kelly that i haven't seen in years it's wonderful to see and it's the right thing for these waves and it's what ryan callanan is doing to beat him what the heck are you doing, Kelly? You know, <laughs> that's I mean? a long question, dude. <laughs> I, I think you would have walked Sorry, away Kelly. by that. Sorry, Kelly. No, but I agree with you, and I think what Martin Potter said was spot on. That he looks better on longer boards. Absolutely, and I think his boards are a little too. And by small. the way, it doesn't have to be the Simon Anderson. Like you have a board company, make a longer board for yeah. yourself. Like yeah. why didn't you show up with a longer board? Well, in many ways, like when you think about it, when he was a. Like, I think Al Merrick had the ability to go, Kelly, I think you should ride this. And Kelly would be like, all right. Yeah. But right now he's got a bunch of guys that are like, I don't know, I'll make you whatever you tell me to make you. Like, there's nobody that's got – but Simon has the ability to go, Kelly, I think you should ride the 510 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like 6-3. Six, six, whatever. My yeah. point is, is he doesn't have somebody that he looks up to and goes, I'm going to listen to this guy. And The way he did with Al or Simon. That's a good point. And I think we love the fact that he's a pioneer of board design. So I love that he's testing out all this stuff. Yeah. But I look at that specific scenario and I go, dude, so back to the exact question that we started this with, are your outside business interests influencing your ambitions to win a world title? Because if you're thinking, which board should I take it in the heat? The one that's on retail racks that people can go buy? Like I want to go showcase the prowess of that board or I want to win this heat. And, and I don't have the right length board from Slater Designs available at my fingertips so I'm going to ride the right board for this heat that happens to be available to me. Like, are those decisions at play? Okay, so ask me that question and I'll, I'll role play Kelly Slater answering. All right, Kelly, are your outside business interest decisions affecting your board selection? Wow. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, I don't know. Did it look like I was not surfing good? Yes. You're not getting the drive out of the boards that I would expect and you're riding a board that's a lot shorter than everybody else. Well, I don't know. It was kind of, it was weird. That's, that heat was weird. I was just in the wrong position. I paddled up to the Rincon. I didn't get a ways up there. I hung out there too long. I went back to the bowl and some big wide ones came through. I just got, I was out of rhythm more than anything. It's not the boards. You got two waves that had the scoring potential that you needed. And it seemed to be that the boards were undergunned for that size of wave. That's my phone. I got to take this call. <laughs> 
It's a I business would, associate. <laughs> um, do you agree? Did you see the waves, yeah. the heats that I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, this was this was indicative of a larger issue for me with this event, which was when the swell arrived, which, by the way, everybody had five days to prepare for at least. Yeah. There was a bunch of late days and we saw that swell coming. Everybody hyped it. Hashtag 50 year storm. And yet, <laughs> yet everybody was un, uh, unprepared with their equipment. Like I saw Jordy. Had that was weird that that heat where he rode that six six and he caught like one wave and came in and traded it out. Yeah, so Jordy had I saw an Eric Arakawa, I saw a DHD, I saw a Dahlberg. Like it seemed like he just went and bought boards off the rack in the last five days. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It you should be prepared for these things. You know, I mean, these are <laughs> professional surfers. I agree. These I are agree. the top athletes. The guys going for but world title, making millions if of you're dollars at Bell's, and you've got. You know, fifteen, six, two, and unders, and it's all of a sudden, oh shit! In seven days, it looks like it's going to be macking. You got to buy a board off the rack. You, okay, you got to grab a board Agreed. from a garage. You got. You're not going to custom make a board. Okay, so I'm fine with that. What about Owen Wright's backup board wasn't waxed? So he goes out there and he breaks a board, comes into the beach, and his backup board's on the beach, and he has to wax it. <laughs> that one's that one's a little wacky. Jeremy Flores. Comes in, looking for his board, couldn't find his caddy. It wasn't on the beach. It's at the top of the stairs in the locker room. This is middle of a heat. Mm-hmm. Off the 50-year storm that you guys have been waiting you for. you got to fire the caddy. Insane. Like, yeah. the lack of professionalism is absolutely insane to me. Yeah, I agree. Like, you. what are you guys doing? Those are surfers. It's freaking ridiculous. Are they stoned? The stoners. I don't know. Um, this was <laughs> Sam George wrote this piece that ended up on Beach Grit, and he said, quote, Almost half of Kelly's scored rides were wipeouts. This was in in his heat against Ryan Callahan. Um, almost half of Kelly's scores scored rides were wipeouts, and his highest score maxed out at three point five. The semifinal with Toledo and Callahan, eight to ten foot offshore, thirteen waves ridden, and not a single one in the excellent range. I won't even talk about the top bogs and the over the falls, ass over tea kettle wipeouts. Watching all of this wetsuit flushing had me trying to think of any other world-class sport where in the heat of competition, there's absolutely no penalty for spectacularly screwing up. Pro surfing, at least judged by these performances, looks a little bit like a junior t-ball where the little kids can come up, can keep on swinging until they finally connect, and then they get cheered all the way to first base, end quote. (laughs) That's pretty good. It's true. Yeah. Like to to have Kelly make it all the way to the quarterfinals yeah. with only really winning one. Hi, eight. Dick Metz. Are you that through? Yeah, yeah, we'll be through in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes? Yeah. You want to go out in the other room and stay as long as you want? Yeah, yeah. we do. Okay. Let's well, do it. And then we could come in here. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I think it's follow the live stuff. Um, all right. Well, we just switched venues because our conference room needed to get you uh was being used by somebody else with an appointment which we didn't have so a little more echoey in here does it sound echoey i don't know who knows anyways i just wanted to let the listeners in case they noticed um so anyways Bells. it's, it's kind of yeah uh, for me there were three surfers who actually looked comfortable out there ryan callahan okay four he looked insane you're right in that one he you're right he did he, he did. was just but then he looked tired he got tired at the end of the event. My my three were going to be 
Felipe, I'm sorry, um, Gabriel and John John, for sure. Yeah. And then Jordy. Yeah, Jordy looked good. Yeah. And Kelly looked comfortable out there and knew how yeah. to pick the waves. It was just an equipment choice for yeah. me. And then Felipe, I feel like, looked comfortable, but he also, Calculated. I think, got his best scores on mid-sized waves. Which is really where, like, that's where most of the good scores were taking place, right? Probably, yeah. So those guys. But John, John, and Gabriel specifically, no matter what size wave they were on, they looked poised, casual. They weren't rushing to get to the next section. And then if a lip presented itself, they went straight up they into went, it every they time. They attacked it. It was gnarly. Yeah. Those guys, I'm like, okay, those guys should be in the final together. Unfortunately, they matched up in the quarters. Yeah. But still, it was just like gnarly. Yeah. Um, and so that, as usual, the end section at, at Bell's is where the heaviest scoring was taking place because it's just this gnarly it's just not it's not a friendly looking section to it's hit. a left coming at you yeah and it's it's difficult when it's freaking triple overhead people die in there by the way speaking of there's a great interview with simon anderson and steve rob robo robertson who and, and they show the 1981 Bells event when it was huge and when Simon rode the three fin for the first time out there. And it just so happens that he had borrowed Robbo's board. That was, he had made it for Robbo. And, and it's a great interview. And you, they show footage of the event. And it, it was way, I think it was not way bigger, but it was bigger and better than what we saw Cleaner. on the clean last finals day right. of this event. It's pretty cool to see it and to hear these guys talk about it. Yep. Um, and that's the other thing. This swell was overhyped, right? Everybody yeah. was calling it the 50-year storm. And, yeah. But it was like, that's not the biggest surf we've seen at Bells in 50 years. And it wasn't the best. Like, the biggest day, what was enjoyable about it was that it was unruly. Yeah. You know, adding that kind of element of chaos. But we're kind of nitpicking. I mean, I thank God there was a... Yeah, yeah. Thank God we had the ability to hype... A 50-year swell, even if it didn't maybe deliver on conditions or whatever. It was the first time in a long time where I felt like Bells deserved the place on tour. Exactly. That's, added, a, that's how I feel about it, yeah. too. It, it needs to be eight feet at least before I'm like, okay, when it's two to three foot Bells, you're just kind of like... But I guess you could say that about any any spot on tour. If it's just two to three, you're a little bummed. I suppose. But um, two to three Bells is not that... Especially if the tide gets weird. Well, then they run it at Winky. Yeah. And then... What the heck? Yeah. Bring lowers back. If Ooh. you're going to do that. You know. Hashtag bring lowers back. Definitely. Um, what about Idolo's interference call against Jordy? Did you watch it? Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think it's bullshit. I think he sh I think don't let the, the referee shouldn't decide a situation like that. Like it, this was, he kicked out, it, I don't, you know, Jordy took off in the whitewash. Idolo saw him and kicked out. Like, yep. did you feel like there was any interference? Like, Zero. I, there was no scoring interference taking place. The potential for Jordy to score was never jeopardized. Nope. I thought he, that was bullshit. He had to go over Idolo's track, but it didn't affect Jordy at all. Yeah. So what happened there was they applied the letter of the law. So the, the rule book says that you can't create a track that the other surfer has to go over, basically. And... The spirit of the law is that you're you interfering want, with scoring potential. You don't want to hinder the scoring potential. Yeah. So really, they should 
employed the spirit of the law there where it's like, look, Jordy wasn't going to complain. Nobody was going to complain, but they recognized they were creating a liability for themselves where Jordy, what if Jordy loses this heat and he does come back to complain? He has a valid complaint that he should have won yeah. based on the interference. So they That's had to idea. imply it. But what I think really another detail that needs to be addressed in that specific scenario is even though Jordy had priority, Idolo took off on the outside and really couldn't imagine, probably didn't even think that Jordy would go because Jordy was in a position where he had to take off on the whitewash. So Jordy strictly went out of tactic. Jordy was winning the heat. If Idolo wasn't out the back on that wave, Jordy would not have gone on the whitewash of that wave. Yeah. So Idolo made a decision to go knowing he was in the clear and Jordy would have had to go on the whitewash. As soon as he saw Jordy spinning in the whitewash, he goes, oh, I'm out of here. And he kicked out. No hindrance of Jordy's potential at all. Jordy continued to go. No harm, no foul. Idolo made the decision at the time, using all the information he had, he made the right decision. The information changed, he changed, made the right decision again, and got out of the wave. The judges were holding him accountable for information that he didn't know when he took off on the wave. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's wrong. Yeah. It's a gray area because the first part of it that you explained, letter of the law, and oh, what if Jordy lost and he came up to the judges and go, hey, what about the rule? You guys didn't enforce it. That point you made makes a lot of sense. It's cogent. It's valid. But the second part you made yeah. makes tons of sense too. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, you got to say, well, what does the rule say? Yeah. And did he violate the rule? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then what, what's the question? Even though I don't agree with it, I didn't think... He deserved to be, I, I felt like, was that the semis or the quarters? That was at the end of the round. I want to say quarters. To me, it's like, look, we're in the business end. Let's let the surfers decide this. Let's not let the referees decide this. Totally. And I mean, that's the problem with surfing that kind of constantly comes up is there's so much gray area, so much subjectivity, and we keep trying to refine it and push it towards objectivity so that we can be a legitimate sport and whatever. But there's just moments that you can't. Yeah. It's the well, beauty all, of it. all sports are having this issue. I mean, last night in the NBA, there was a major referee issue. Was there? Yeah, with the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. And this is a sport that's a true sport in that you score your own points and there's a defense that tries to stop you from scoring your own points and you can't smoke and you can't wear leisure slacks. Right. So it's a true sport. So, but they had a big, there was a, you know, talk, it's on talk radio all morning about this, this referee call. Yeah. Should he have called it? Shouldn't he have called it? All of that. There's a great, uh, I don't know what it, it was a podcast I was listening to a month ago, which um, talked about the NBA and them being kind of the media questioning their objectivity with the refereeing. So to rebut that the nba invested i feel like it was 20 million dollars building out this headquarters for all of the replays to run through i forget what it's like in houston or something so every game they have all of this technology tons of camera angles in every stadium where they can slow down and look at every single play that happens to figure out what actually happened so now the referees whenever there's a questionable call get on the line to HQ immediately. They're reviewing the footage. And then at the end of every game, they release all of their in, like complete transparency. Here's what transpired in every call of every game. Here's a report publicly available for players, fans, 
any the media, anybody who wants to know how we made the decisions we made, here's complete transparency. And I thought that was really interesting. Is that the NBA or the NFL? It was the NBA. Yeah. The, the NFL probably does too, I would imagine. Yeah. But the, the cameras are so good and they have every angle covered that like sometimes during halftime, they'll have a magician on the court doing a card trick. They could zoom in and see all of his sleight of hand and see how he's huh. doing his tricks. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's how legit it is. You know, but it was, you know, it's this, I mean, I said $20 million. It's probably a bigger investment than that when you're looking at all the staffing. Yeah. But it's kind of like, this There's nothing is just, more important than the integrity of the league. Exactly. Exactly. How do you quantify whether or not you see a return on that? You don't. No, you don't. It's all about it's just marketing the marketing investment. Yeah. Do you have a good, do you have a legit product? Exactly. exactly. Um, so a couple of other things that we could discuss from Bells. Julian Wilson, two early losses in two events. I feel like we always have the question about his world title ability. He has all the talent in the world, of course. What happened, he surfed against Kelly. They got pitted against each other in that kind of early elimination round. Kelly stayed busy, got a couple of mediocre scores, combined heat total of 11, and Julian sat out the back waiting for set waves that never came. And uh, so Julian loses. I feel like the ocean works against you at least one event a year, at least one heat a year, if not an entire event. That's it, yeah. So you have to accept that that's gonna happen no matter who you are. We'll chalk that one up for Julian Wilson. Unfortunately, it happened early in the year. That's why you have to control every other variable. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, Julian, that one wasn't really your fault. Maybe you could have altered your strategy once you saw the way things that's, were going. That's where I was going with this, and okay. it's such a gray area. This concept of, because what happens is it comes back to bite you. Like if you alter your strategy, let's say you paddle inside and up to Rincon to try to get busy and instead of waiting for three killer waves in 35 minutes, you just, you wanna be all over the place. And it comes back to bite you because killer sets come in and your competitor's out by himself way out at the ball and he's scoring. Yeah. Now you're like, why'd you break from your strategy if you would have just held your guns? So I think the, the general hard and fast rule is always go into the heat with the strategy and stay the, stay the strategy. If you lose, you lose, but at least you didn't try something else and then just get all scattered. I think the problem is post-event, you get scattered. Post-event, Julian goes, shoot, now next time do I stick to my strategy because it screwed me this time. And now I'm in the hole because we're going into the third event and I'm two events down. Those are my two throwaways already. Now I got to perform every single event. You know? Well, that is what it is. I will say this. Hats off to WSL and Rosie Hodge for getting an interview with him after he lost because that's one of the things that you and I are always talking about. Like, go talk to the losers. Yeah. Let's get them when they're pissed. And, you know, Julian had the composure and the professionalism to do a pretty good post-heat, I'm leaving now, I've got my boards under my arm interview. Yeah. And I thought that was good. And they need more of that. Agreed. Um, did you watch the Heritage Series heat? I did. You into it? Yeah, I was kind of bored. I mean, I'm always into watching Tom and Aki for that matter, but it's lost some of its luster. Why? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was into it. I tuned into it. Um, I, I just kind of feel like a heritage heat needs to be in like four to five foot really clean waves. Yeah. If they're 47 years old and 53 years old or however old they are, like they, they almost... You kind of need to put them out in the geriatric surf, you know, like perfect 
clean four foot restaurants laughs or something like that. Like you know? they did at J-Bay J last night. Right, and look how good that was, right? Tom was killing it. I like the fact that they did it um, when they were transitioning the event from Bells to Winky. So we have this downtime anyways, let's go ahead and utilize it in a meaningful way. But then they have the problem that you're saying, which is the reason why they're transitioning the event is because Bells is getting blown to crap. It's not that good anymore. Yeah. And the other issue is like Tom Curran couldn't care enough to even ride a real board. Like I think he, he cares. He, he knew it was crap. Why did he ride Super Dave then? Because <laughs> cause, yeah, I think he paddled out on a CI, ride a Black Beauty yeah. or something, because he kind of, as an ode to the, I'm sure they all went, please ride the Black yeah. Beauty, because that's what you rode in the heat, you know, in 1992 or whatever. And, but I think it's, I mean, we all want him to ride Super Dave. <laughs> Didn't you, weren't you, that was when I was happy. I'm like, cool, he's riding Super Dave. And Kelly, by the way, who was commentating, they were all stoked that he was riding Super Dave. Yeah. I, I mean, I love he has a board named Super Dave. <laughs> It's so wonderful, I'm but like, he needs to ride it. I um, you got Nobody else refers to it as Super Dave. I saw it in one Instagram post one time, and now I'm going to use it every chance it's I get. The it's the greatest name so for good. a surfboard it's, ever. It's, so good. it's right there. It's just atop Magic Sam Nat Young's board in the '66 so World Titles. Um, Super Dave. I couldn't. <laughs> so I guess you got to know who Super Dave is to really get it, right? I Super think Dave even, even if you don't know, it's still fun. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I've got something I want to say, but go ahead. I do love how fast, I mean, when you see the amount of um, glide and speed that he gets on that thing without moving a muscle and without pumping it, you recognize why he's doing it. You're like, oh, he's tapping into a whole different level here that, you know, a rockered um, surfboard can't tap into. Right. So I, I get why he's riding it. It's just, I want to see Curran do some big old arcs, you know, I want yeah. to see... I but I love that it's so Curran. It's like only yeah. Curran would do something like that. Yeah, so. exactly. What are you going to do? And some of Curran's commentary in the booth was pretty pretty cool. It's pretty, it was good to have Martin's really good at interviewing guys, being the moderator guy. Yeah. He's done those at that SEMA thing in Cabo. They'll have Martin do be sort of the moderator. He's a really pretty good interviewer, very good interviewer. Yep. Okay, so I, interesting that something I want to throw out to you and the listeners I was at, I was down at Sharp Eye in San Diego with Marcio Zuvi, and we were talking about the Brazilian storm. And he basically said, Scott, the Brazilian storm is going to be over. That because of the economy in Brazil right now, which has been in the tank for about five years, there's really no young up and coming kids, even though there's a bunch of hot red hot up-and-coming Brazilian surfers down in Brazil. There's no, the resources and the, um, the ability for them to sort of jump into um, competitive surfing a structure so that eventually they will get to the QS and the CT. Sort of that middle structure has just been taken away because the economy's so bad. So yeah, look, there's like a lot of, you know, there's well-to-do Brazilians and they're not affected by the economy and there's going to be surfers that come out of that social stratification. But the majority of the poor Brazilians, the Jots and Andres of the world, those guys don't have, there's not sponsorship, there's not an infrastructure, there's not resources. And so Marcia was saying, look for the Brazilian storm to sort of putter to an end. He was saying, is it 
Mateus Hurdy, he basically said, that's going to be the last one. I don't think you're going to see anybody else kind of come up through the QS and get on tour. Interesting. Very interesting, and we'll see how that plays out. Now, on the opposite side of that, he said, where you're going to see the next storm come from is Japan. There's a Japanese storm that's brewing right now. They're all because of Kanoa. Kanoa is just like this, like Kanoa is huge over there. He's, the, by the way, the Olympics, Visa, who's the official sponsor of the Olympic Games, like the overarching title sponsor, Visa, they've chosen, and they could have chosen any athlete from any country, and they've chosen Kanoa Igarashi to represent Visa and all of their Olympic advertising, and Kanoa is just on TV everywhere yep. in Japan. And so there's all of these, there's a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old Japanese kids that have been watching Kanoa for the past five, six, seven years that are all coming up through the ranks, that are all, they're all riding high-performance surfboards. A lot of them are flying over here to do contests. Yep. And um, do you know what Igarashi means? I don't. 50 storm. Interesting. R- Arashi is storm. Iga, 50. 50 storm. Kanoe Igarashi, Japanese storm, David. Typhoon. Look for it. It's a typhoon. typhoon. Thank you very much. But Arashi is storm. Um, Igarashi. So now. That makes a ton of sense. Hold on, though. He's on sharp eyes, too, now. Yeah, I know. I talked to Gary Linden last night. He was with me at Walter Monk's house for dinner. And he's calling BS on this theory. I am, too. Saying that the Brazilians are so hungry they're so v- rabid that it doesn't matter. They're going to find well, a way to get... Well, the the glaring contradiction for Marcio's argument is he's implying that Adriana de Souza, Miguel Pupo, Jetson no, Andre had a middle-class strata that propped them into no, it. But they no, had, they didn't. They had a surf industry didn't that was they? like, hey, let's get this kid. No, that they kid. didn't. They had some sort of like... No, they didn't, dude. Those guys came from the favelas. They had nothing. Okay, they had but how did them. they get from the favela to where they were? To where they are now? Yeah, to the, like, let's say the QS. I'm suggesting nothing's changed. There were some low-level circuits. Right, and that, that they, is now gone. Those contests are going away? That's gone. Says The guys that picked out Jadson and Adriano and then went, hey, come surf on my team. You can come to the beach here and surf and we're going to get... And you, you rip and blah, blah. That is missing that whole middle chunk is missing there's like uber rich and there's uber poor and there's no more like infrastructure to get the guy from the favela much of an infrastructure i don't either by the way i don't either but that's what i'm telling that something went away that was there i'm suggesting i don't think those guys ever had that Right, but I'm suggesting Marcio's from Brazil and knows Brazilians and is a smart business guy. Yeah, and I you're do. not from Brazil and you don't know what was there, and so totally. you're arguing something that you don't know. Same with me, by the way. I I'm just telling you what Marcio told me. I acknowledge that. What I'm, all that we know about the Brazilian storm is that despite not having any of the structure that all the developed, you know, surf nations have, no, but they did. Those though. guys. Then what have we been talking about for the last twenty years, saying that they don't? I never said there wasn't like some we sort of middle. Have. That's no, no. Look, they were still they were poor, but there was some infrastructure that allowed them to climb the ranks to get to a place where they could get sponsored and get into the QS and travel around and become CT surfers. Yeah, they're still poor guys, but that infrastructure to climb the ladder 
part of it's been taken so what, away because so of the we're economy. Talking about is local contests that's gone away? If that's what we're going to say, I don't is, know. I'm, yeah, I'd like I don't either. I don't about. either. I'm because just telling the, you what I was told. I'm just telling you that that their sense is that Brazilian storm might have dried up. You know, give it a couple of years, yeah. and it might be gone. And, be, and it's based on the economy being in the shitter. But hasn't it always been? No, when the was economy it, was actually was really good for for a while. There, the economy was good in Brazil. Like I want to say, maybe seven years ago, mm. the economy was robust and it's really tanked. But it, again, this is a classic case where David and Scott, and I'll speak in the third person, are sort of under researched and over rumored. Yeah, that sounds like a hashtag. Hashtag under-researched, over-rumored. I think we just go over-rumored. Hashtag over-rumored. Um, I mean, I... We shall see. Let's just throw it out there okay, and we'll we shall see. I'm not saying it's... Five years. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it's set in stone. I'm just telling you I wanted to report it because it perked my ears when I heard it. I was surprised like you. Yeah, it's I was surprised. I'm like, really? And then Gary shot it down last night at dinner. He's like, I don't believe that. Just like you're saying. He's like, no. And Gary's tied in with Brazil really heavily. Right. And I do definitely agree with the Japanese typhoon, for sure. Like, that's been lying in wait for a long time. That's been a sleeping giant. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like the Japanese Imperial Navy in 1935. Pardon the pun. <laughs> um, you know, another detail about the Bells event real quick before we move on is when it got big and unruly, and actually even just big on the final day, I thought to myself, this is a venue where surfing from 20 years ago could still win a final. Like the surfing yeah, from the 90s that's true. and the 2000s absolutely. absolutely could have won a final out there against John John. Well, and I would ask you to watch that 1981 footage of Bells of Simon, and yeah. you'll see the turns he's doing, and you're basically on the same turn that I just saw John John. Well, yeah. maybe not John, but the same, just, you're right, the venue, basically, there's only a certain type of surfing that can take place there. Yep. And it's the same as it was 25, 30 years ago. 10 years ago, um, Slater's rail grab kind of top turn deal, again, on a longer board, um, would have been the turn of the event this year. It was yeah. gnarlier than anything that anybody did. Yeah. You know? Although John, some of John John's hacks into the lip were just mental. Where, you know how they come to that end section and, and he would hack into the lip as the left's coming at him and he would free fall. They all would have that little free fall moment where the fins would disengage with the yeah. wave face. Yeah. And then they would ride it out. So Callahan did some insane ones. The point of difference for John John, I think, over everybody else, was because um, Gabriel would like go, not Gabriel, uh, Felipe. Felipe would go up into the lip and kind of float with it, you yeah. know, ride the cushion down. John John, I feel like he was doing full rail turns, but positioning them right up against the lip so like half of his board is buried underwater yeah it's really a rail carve more than it is like a lip slam yeah but he's positioning it and timing it perfectly right up against that so it is it looks like a snap but when you look at the board you're like that's a full-blown power gouge in the lip yeah you know? super gnarly that's pretty good uh that's a good commentary. It's That's a good way to, we've seen. to break it down. Who's ever done that? Like, it's different, you know? Dane Reynolds. Maybe. Eva. Maybe, but not out there. No, because... And, and, by the way, not? John's riding a 6-2 the He's entire just, time. He looks so strong. It is, it is setting up wonderfully for a continuation of John, John, and Gabe, which I wouldn't mind seeing for the next five years, frankly. They're both have two world titles. They're... They, their um, style is so interesting to compare and contrast. 
Like I was watching him throughout the event on opposite sides of the draw, thinking these are the two informed surfers, and I can't really even compare who's better. I would I was talking to somebody and I'm like, oh, John John's got like a step above Gabe, and he's like, how? Why? And I'm like. I don't know, because I like him better. <laughs> like, there's no way to objectively say what he's doing is harder or better than Gabe. Yeah. You know, they're both really, really equal. As fans, it's it's perfect. We've got a, a great situation, and the WSL must be chomping at the bit. They've got champing. these two guys, that John John's back, and he's healthy, and it's really champing, chomping, champing, champing, champing at the bit. So I think it's great for us, for yeah. fans, and pretty exciting awesome. exciting times, because they match oh. up. In the air and in big barreling waves equally. Everything. You know, it's a really good matchup. By the way, Courtney Conlogs are friggin' insane. Um, I watched that heat, and she really she really deserved that win. Which heat? The final. Oh, so you watched one? Yeah. <laughs> I watched a few more. I think I watched Malia win her semi against um, Carolyn Marks. Dude, most embarrassing wave of the event was during that heat the one that she just mistimed from the outside to the inside do you remember that no dude i was watching it embarrassed a little bit like, you embarrassed that you're a fan of women surfing or? no not at all embarrassed for her like oh. dude you got the exact wave you wanted and just i've that's what I would do out there. That's what I would have like done the if all feet the feet were just not quite in the right place Dude, the whole time. Every single sink was out of it, uh, zig when she should have zagged. It was every she got the opportunity she needed, but it's like she was at the bottom of the wave when she needed to be at the top. Then she uh, was out on the flats when she should have been in the pocket. Like, and then all the way to the inside, she tried to like lob it up into the lip and just ate it at the bitter end. And it, she still won the heat, which I think is also an indictment. But um, oh you know what I mean? <laughs> Throwing down indictments, but. Uh, the Courtney heat, the final, I thought Courtney was on a, the wrong board at first. Mm. I even text, text stamps this. In the middle of the heat, I was like, dude, the board's too big. It's too big, and so it looked um, unresponsive. Like, she could not swing the thing around until she got on a big set wave, and the board clicked, and it did exactly what she wanted to do. And if she had been on a smaller board, she wouldn't have been able to surf that wave. And then she got a 10 for it. And it was like, oh, that's why she paddled out on that bigger board where she was going to hunt down that set wave. And I didn't recognize it when she took off on a medium wave, but she did it. She made it work. Yeah. It was, it was awesome to see her get that big of a wave and just shred it. Yeah, she was surfing good. I was pretty stoked. Yeah, it was a good Gotta 10. admit. It was a good 10. Um, well, the big boardroom show this weekend, bro. Well, real quickly before we get to that, yeah. Stab Magazine mm -hmm. is doing the uh, – electric acid surfboard test and they're giving it away for free they originally said they were going to air it today they were going to debut it on april 29th but then i saw something else saying it's going to be next week so hopefully it'll be next week but um we enjoyed this last year with dane reynolds this year it's with stephanie gilmore and the boards that they have her riding i think are less freaky than they were last year like dane had such an array last year from asymmetrical kind of rip it rippable shortboards to displacement holes and dane to i would say his own fault didn't know how to surf a displacement hole he was trying to rip it and it just didn't do service to the board there was too much variety in the quiver that they brought with stephanie it looks like they got kind of more of the quiver dialed in where they are interesting boards um, and non-conventional short boards but they all kind of fit the short board mold and 
it looks like they got some killer footage from the trip. I've got a new idea for for Beach Grid or Stab or whoever. What is it? It's it's the sort of it, it flows along the same theme, but instead of having one really good surfer and an array of surfboards, you get five really good surfers. Let's say four. You get four really good surfers, whoever they are, and then you get an array of surfboards designs. Like you get you have four fishes built. You have four high-performance surf shortboards built. You have four longboards built. You have four bonzers built or whatever, right? So you have four totally different boards, right? And you got the four surfers. They show up at some stab party or whatever for the unveiling of which of those four boards those four guys are going to ride. So only one of those designs is going to be. So you reach into a, a hat, you pull out which board it's going to be, and voila, it's the bonzer. The other boards don't even ever see the, day, the light of day. Those four surfers now have to ride the bonzer. And the, the idea being that we know Dane Reynolds is going to rip it on the high-performance shortboard, right? And we know that, like, Dave Rostovich is probably going to kill it on the fish or whatever, you know, and C.J. Nelson's going to kill it on the longboard. So it's really about which board we pull out of the hat and so we, we get the bonzer, and so all four of those surfers ride the bonzer in different conditions and give us their feedback on the bonzer. Interesting. Just a thought. Yeah. Because eventually you're going to want to mix it up. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, what I do like about the electric acid surfboard test is, again, this revisiting of the long-form surf film again that I was talking about earlier in the show. We're having these things happen now kind of more frequently that are um, events, you know, these films, the CJ and Damien piece, like the Neat Essentials piece, these are events that I actually look forward to and I want to watch, whereas the long feature surf film had gone away for a decade or so after kind of VHS. Now there's good quality films that aren't just serving as marketing pieces, you know? Yeah, that's the key. Some of them are, but they're... I'm okay if they're marketing, but that can't be the overriding yeah. drive of the director right. can't be let's yeah. do a globe video bro no but i actually want to watch the electric acid surfboard test and yeah i, I do commit too. 50 minutes to no, it. no i'm fully into it know? um are you going to the boardroom pre-party on friday night at the del mar plaza my invite must have got lost in the mail or something it's open to the public it's a free it's an exhibitor it's for the exhibitors oh, for okay. you guys okay but everyone's welcome cool live music Two slideshows, one with Steve Sherman, one with Dan, Don Balch, and one with the Follow the Light Foundation. Sweet. And then two short video edits, one by Dana Brown on his father, Bruce Brown, and one by Wyatt Early, who did Spoon. So a little clip from Spoons. Epic. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be there then. Um, I'll swing by. My must-see happy moment from spyoptic.com, use promo code podcast, is... 21 days series is back from red bull remember this a few years ago they were doing it yeah. following a couple of uh surfers around on the tour um i love it they've always done a phenomenal job and this year they're profiling jadson andre and chloe andino oh, and episode one was them leading into the quicksilver pro very so cool. it's really really well done so i'll post that on spitpodcast.com that's awesome yeah let's let's uh yeah looking forward to seeing spy must see moment. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? Yep. Thanks for following along, Scott. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks to the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center as well for hosting us. Red Bull. Love those guys.
21. I love their beverages. <laughs> I don't drink their beverages. Their production house kicks ass. The production though. house is good. All right, man. Spy, um, spitpodcast.com. We'll see you at the boardroom show. Next time I see you, we'll be at boardroom the show. boardroom show. This weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Can't wait. It's going to be good. Boardroomshow.com for tickets or information. If you want to see the full schedule, by the way, the boardroom panels, the discussions, we've got an insane lineup of discussions. WSL is going to be there in force. Pat O'Connell, Devin Howard, Dave Prodan, talking WSL, future. A couple of others shaping the industry. Um, Wayne Lynch, of course, will be there on the panel for a Q&A. And um, West Coast Board Riders with Taylor Knox and some others. It's going to be good. We will see you there. Is this time to wrap up? Until next time, adios and aloha. Second hand.